Good morning to you all. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you're new with us today, thank you so much for choosing us. It's an honor to have you. I'm Rodney. Um, I'm the Matthews pastor here at New City, and I am excited today to continue our study of the book of Judges. Now, today marks the conclusion of the first half of our study of the book of Judges, and I pray that it's been uh, a blessing to you so far. Now, today, as we conclude the first half of our study, we'll be talking from the topic, the dangers of success, the dangers of success. But before we do that, I do want to remind you that Group Link is happening today. And if you're not currently in a group, like you just heard in the video, uh, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Group Link, Group Link is simply a time to gather with group leaders and others that are looking to be in a group and find out what's the best fit for you. And so, again, Group Link is happening today um, at 5 p.m. here at the Matthews campus. Dinner will be served and child care will be provided for infants through fifth grade. Now, all we need you to do is let us know that you will be there. You can register by uh, scanning the QR code right there. You can uh, reach in the seat back in front of you, grab the card, fill it out there, check groups, take that to connection point, or you can simply go to newcity.us slash group link to register there. Amen? Amen. Well, before we dive into God's word, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this space of grace, for this moment to glorify and to honor you. This is a holy moment. This is your moment. Glorify yourself now, God. So we exchange our brokenness, our weariness, our confusion, our frustration. We exchange it for your glory, the opportunity to be conformed more into the image and the likeness of your son. Get the glory out of this moment and in the lives of your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The enemy was in. The enemy within. As we look today at part two of Gideon's story in the book of Judges, chapters 7 through 9. So we're going to take a stroll today, so I need y'all need y'all to hang with me today. And, and also, if you haven't had a chance to read through the book of Judges, I pray that you, that you do that. Some fascinating stories in this, and God is doing some, some mighty things. But as we look at part two of Gideon's story, we'll see that there are worse dangers than enemy armies and starvation. If you've been studying with us, you know that those are just a few of the things that the Israelites have been up against so far. And so what we'll see is that what the Israelites faced and what many of us are facing are outside, more visible enemies. And so what we'll see today is an enemy that's not always so visible. The enemy that the Lord is most concerned about. The enemy within. And so with that, I'm going to ask now, if you're able, to please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll look at Judges chapter number uh, 7, verses 1 through 8. The word of God to you today. So Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in a valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever's timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So, 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. 
When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank with their, drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. Thus ends the reading of the word of God. You may be seated. So as we look at this, as we read the beginning of chapter 7, we see that Gideon is facing an enemy army, an outside enemy, if you will. But as we continue to look at this, what we'll see is the enemy within begin to raise his head. Now, to set this up, I want to share um, a quote by Tim Keller. It says this, there is a terrible spiritual danger involved in receiving in the receiving of any blessing. Success can easily cause us to forget God's grace because our hearts are desperate to believe that we can save ourselves. And this is what God is trying to protect Gideon and the Israelites from with the statement he makes in verse 2. But now as we begin to dive into this, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever taken credit for something somebody else did? What about something God did? Have you ever taken credit for something that God did, ever boasted in your own strength, skills, and abilities while ignoring the God that gave you those blessings in the first place? Truth is, we all probably have at some point, right? I think we all have. And what we'll read today about Gideon is that he does the same thing. And that's why it's important as we dive into this uh, final part of the first part of our study that we understand our bottom line is this. The greatest danger in our success is forgetting that God is the source. The greatest danger in our success is forgetting that God is the source. So, for the benefit of those who may be joining us for the first time, what we talked about last week in Judges chapter number 6, we saw God not only come to Gideon and find him where he was hiding, he was hiding in a wine press, but we saw God deal with Gideon through these conversations and confirmations as he prepared Gideon to lead the Israelites against the Midianites. And as we looked at that, we learned that God doesn't define us by our worst moments. He defines us by his best moment, moment on the cross. Now, in chapter number seven, the Israelites are getting ready to face off against the Midianites, and God says to Gideon, you have too many warriors. You have too many warriors. Let's look at seven, verse two again. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Now watch this. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me they saved themselves by their own Strength. Now, here's what we know with God saying that. We know that God is concerned about what we boast about. God is concerned about what you and I boast about. And it's easy, when you think about it, it's easy to fall into this trap, isn't it? It's easy to exalt our gifts above the giver. It's easy for us to do that. Undoubtedly, God has gifted us with with many gifts and talents. And if we're not careful, we'll exalt our gifts above the giver. So he goes on to tell him, hey, whoever's timid, send them home. 
We just read 22,000 of them went home. That left 10,000 in verse 4. He told Gideon, you still have too many. So Israel's army goes from 32,000 to 300. From 32,000 to 300. Now, what kind of battle strategy is that? What kind of battle strategy is it to reduce your army by 99%? Unless, unless there's a greater purpose than military victory. Unless there's a greater purpose. Here's what else we know by the Lord making that statement. That the Lord wanted the source of the victory to be undoubtedly clear. He wanted the source of the victory to be undoubtedly clear. So in verse 7, he tells him, send everybody else home. Here's what else he's teaching Gideon and that he's teaching us. Is that when we are weak, we're strong in him. When we are weak, when it seems like we're outnumbered, when it seems like the odds are against us, when we remain in him, that's when we are strong. We see this play out in the life of Jesus, don't we? Jesus appeared to be weak. He appeared to not be who he said he was. The apostle Paul talked about this too, didn't he? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We know that well. He says three times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to do what? Boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults and hardships, persecutions and in troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's a quote I love that says this. It says, it is only when we know our own weaknesses that God's love becomes more precious to us. It's only when we know our own weaknesses God's love becomes more precious. So this Israelite army goes from 32,000 to 300. And in the next few verses of Judges chapter 7, we see Gideon's faith reassured in verses 9 through 11. Let's look at, let's look at that and, 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 and read it together. It says, that night, the Lord said, get up, go down to the Midianite camp. For I have given you victory over them. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the Midianite camp. So Gideon, at this point in our story, Gideon needs to be reassured. He needs reassurance because he's faithful. He's fearful. He's fearful. And his fear, we talked about this last week, his fear is a reflection of his focus, right? He's focused on himself and his insecurities. And what we'll see through the life of Gideon is that both our weaknesses and our successes can cause us to focus on ourselves. But once again, God is gracious to Gideon, and he moves Gideon from fear to faith. He says, listen, if you're still afraid, this is what I need you to do. And he moves Gideon from fear to faith. And here's what I need you to know today. That faith always calls for obedience. And obedience always involves risk. If you and I are going to ever do what God has called us to do, we have to be willing to take risk for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Because the truth is that there are times when God may ask us to take risk on our way to assurance. But we want, that, we want that assurance on the front end most of the time, don't we? God, if you show me everything, I, I, I promise I'll go. 
If you show me what's around the corner, God, I promise it. I promise I'll go. But I need you to know that going to the enemy camp for Gideon and his servant, that was dangerous for them to do. But it was the same place that God gave him confidence, leads him into worship, and stirs him to action. Because what I've learned is that God often gives us what we need as we do what he's asked us to do. And so in verses 11 through 15, Gideon and servant, they go down, they hear what they need to hear. Gideon's faith is reassured, and his response in verse 15 was to bow in worship before the Lord. That was his response. You've heard us say it this way here, that worship is our response to God's revelation. And that's what Gideon is doing. God has responded, and Gideon's in worship. And not only does he bow, but then he boldly goes and does what the Lord calls him to do. And as chapter 7 concludes, Gideon and the Israelites find out that the Lord holds true because they gain victory over the Midianites in verses 16 through 25. Verse 22 says, when the Israelites, when the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horn, the Lord caused the Midianite warriors in the camp to fight against each other. To fight against each other. And those who weren't killed, the scripture says they fled. Those who weren't killed, they fled. Now, now notice this. Notice that, that rather than fight, all they had to do was trust God. They didn't even have to fight. All they had to do was trust God. They had to be present and watch the power of God prevail. Maybe that's the reason why some of us are tired. Because we're fighting. trying to fight this thing in our own strength when God is calling us to throw up our hands and surrender and trust him. And so God gives them, God gives the Midianites and Gideon victory here at the end of chapter 7. But the story's not over because in chapter 8, we begin to see some of the dangers of success. I love what Pastor Andrew Varner says. He says, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. Let us be as watchful after the victory before the battle. Worsby says the war may be over, but the dangers have not vanished. War may be over, but the dangers have not vanished. So now watch this. As we get into chapter number eight, Judges, it focuses on Gideon's response to various people. Now remember, this is just after the major success against the Midianite army. And Gideon and the Israelites are now chasing after those who have fled. Chasing after the ones who weren't killed, but they fled. And here comes the enemy within. In the first few verses of chapter number 8, we see Ephraim's complaint. Now, Ephraim was one of the more powerful tribes in Israel. And Gideon, at the end of chapter 7, he called them out to help him cut off the Midianites that were fleeing. But the Ephraimites, they're not happy with Gideon. So in the first couple of verses, they say, yo, like, why didn't you call us when you first went to fight the Midianites? Why, why you didn't call us then? Why are you calling us now to help you cut off those that are fleeing? Now, catch this. They're complaining because they are frustrated at having missed out on the glory of the, of the victory. They're complaining because they missed out. They weren't there. So because they weren't there, they don't get to glory in the victory, and this reveals that what God said in verse 2 to Israel, that they would want to boast against him, that's revealing to us that God was right when he said that. 
Now watch this. Gideon responds to them essentially by playing to their pride. I need y'all to read this. It's fascinating stuff. He responds to them by essentially playing to their pride and their desire to be praised when he says, what have I accomplished compared to y'all? What have I accomplished compared compared to you guys? God gave y'all victory over the Midianite commanders. And then the scripture says that Ephraim's anger subsided. So the story goes on, and Gideon continued to chase those who had fled, which included the two Midianite kings. And this is so funny to me. He reaches the towns of Succoth and Penuel, and he asked the leaders in those towns to give his army some food because they're tired. They've been chasing these Midianite kings. So he asked them, he said, hey, feed my guys. We're tired. We've been pursuing this army. And the leaders of both towns say to they say to Gideon, um, catch the kings first, and then come back. Catch the kings first, then come back, and we'll feed your army. So Gideon essentially, now let me, this, this is just, this is this book of Rodney, right? This, 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 when I see the scripture, so Gideon essentially goes, oh, huh, okay, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing here. Okay, check this out. I'm going to go take care of the, the two kings, but when I come back, it's on. When I get back to you, it's on. He tells got to read this. He tells the people of Succoth, he says, when I come back, I will tear your flesh with thorns and briars from the wilderness. He tells the people of Penuel, he says, when I come back, I'm going to tear your tower down. I'm going to tear your tower down. Now, notice this. Gideon answers Succoth and Penuel differently than Ephraim did. He responds to them differently. And this reveals that Gideon's response to Ephraim wasn't because he didn't want to strike them down. It was because he couldn't. I told you Ephraim was one of the more powerful tribes. He couldn't. But this also reveals to us that Gideon's anger is an indication of the admiration he expects. In other words, he's like, didn't y'all, didn't y'all see what, what we just did to, to the Midianites? And I'm still chasing them, and me and my guys, we come through, and y'all can't, y'all can't feed us? Okay, bet. I got you. When I come back, I, I got you. I need you to see that that's that enemy within rising up in him. And so the story continues, and Gideon captures all the fleeing Midianites. He captures them, including the two Midianite kings. And on his way back from the battle, he even captures a man from Succoth. Now, you need to know, this was one of his own people. This was an Israelite. He captures one of his own people, and he demands that the man writes down all the names of the officials and the elders in town. He demands of the guy, he says, hey, write down, write down all the names. Write down all the names. And then he gets back to suck off. He gets back there. And he says, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got the two kings here. I got the two kings with me. Remember when I was here before? And y'all was talking about something. Oh, oh, catch the kings first. Catch the kings first, and then we'll help you. He says, mm-hmm, remember that? Remember that? And then the scripture says that Gideon took the elders of the town, and he taught them a lesson. He taught them a lesson, punishing them with the thorns and the briars from the wilderness. And guess what he did next? He went to Penuel, and he teared down the tower. Gideon has gone savage. He has gone straight savage. He has lost his mind. Now, catch this now. Remember this. Back in chapter 7, verse 15, when Gideon knew his own weakness and understood the victory could only be by grace, what did he do? We just talked about it. He bowed down. 
and he worshiped God, didn't he? But that's the last time we see him do it. That's the last time we see him do it. He has forgotten who it was that called him, equipped him, reassured him, and won the battle for him. He has completely forgotten it. That's why he's angry that these people are not responding to him the way he's been preaching. But here's the thing. Some of us have forgotten too. Some of us have forgotten that it's God that got you the job that you have now. Remember when you prayed for that job? It's God that got you the job. And now you got the job and you, you're complaining about the job. Remember when you were single and you prayed, God, please, please, I've been single 20 years. God, help me. God gave you a spouse. Now you're complaining about the spouse. But as for Gideon, Gideon is not done. He's not done. Now he's going to deal with the two Midianite kings that he captured in verses 18 through 21. And in these verses, we find out that the Midianite kings, they killed Gideon's own brothers. They killed his brothers. This is why when you read it, it says that Gideon asked his oldest son, Jether, to kill him. He has these two kings, and he tells his oldest son, hey, kill them. Why? Because he wants to humiliate them by them having been killed by a boy. Gideon's son, his, his son refuses to do it, so in the end, Gideon performs the execution himself, and with their deaths, victory is fully complete. With their deaths, victory is complete. However, we are not done seeing the dangers of success. We're not done seeing the enemy within because in verse number 22, Israel offers Gideon kingship. They say, the Israelites say to him in verse 22, they say, be our rulers, you, your son, and your grandson, for you have rescued us from the Midianites. Now, not only has Gideon forgot who gave him the victory, but now the rest of the, rest of the Israelites have too. And in this way, the Israelites are attempting to reject God's method of ruling over them. Because remember, in these cycles that we've been seeing, God is the one that sends the judge. Now they're saying, hey, we want, we want you. We want you to be our king. See, a judge was anointed by God, and what they wanted was a king assigned by man. That's what they wanted. And in, in, in verse 23, Gideon replies, I will not rule over you. I won't. Neither will my son. The Lord will rule over you. Now, sadly, he says this, but this is the last time that, that, that God that, that Gideon really remembers who God is. Because immediately after that, immediately after that, in verse 24, in your Bible, he says, however, I do have a request. I got a request. He says, I request that each of you give me a gold earring from the plunder you got from your fallen enemy. Give me a gold earring. Verse 25, they say, gladly. We'll give, you, we'll give you a gold earring. So everybody gave a gold earring, and the weight of the gold earring... 43 pounds. 43 pounds. So verse 27 of chapter 8 says that Gideon made a sacred ephod from gold and put it in his hometown. Now, what is Gideon doing here? What, he, what is he doing? I'm glad you asked. An ephod was worn by the high priest in the tabernacle. It was the tent where God was present among his people, which at this point was in Shiloh. It wasn't in Gideon's hometown. At this point, it was in Shiloh, and it designated the place where God's dwelling was, and it was a way to discern God's will in times of crisis. So Gideon, here's what he did. He created his own 
when he asked for the gold, he created his own and put it in his own town. And in doing that, he was setting up his own hometown as a rival place of worship. And that would encourage the Israelites to come to him for guidance and see his own hometown as a place where God can be found. So what we see in these verses is that Gideon both rejects and assumes on. He rejects it. He says, no, the Lord will rule over you. But then he turns right around and assumes the honor. And the end of verse 27 tells us how that ended. The end of verse 27 says, but soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it, this gold ephod. And it became a trap for Gideon and his family. So here's what's happening. The judge, the rescuer, in this case Gideon, who is supposed to lead the people to God, was leading them away from God. The enemy was in. But how could Gideon reject and assume honor? How could he do that? I don't know about you, but it made me think of my own life. How could we bless God and curse from the same mouth? How is it possible? How is that possible in your own life? How do you do that? How did Gideon do it? I'm going to tell you why. Because Gideon, what he knew about God in his head hadn't fully made its way to his heart. In other words, he failed to live out what he knew to be true. Sounds like what a lot of us do. He failed to live out what he knew to be true. Had a head knowledge of God, but it hadn't all the way gotten And verse 28 says, that is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian, which never recovered. Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was a space of peace in the land. Now, you, you need to know that that's not the kind of peace that God wants. That's not the kind of peace that God wants. We just read that Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it. So it was a compromised peace. It was a compromised peace because there was no worship, not of the one true living God, and there was no obedience. There was no obedience. And as chapter 8 ends, we see more evidence of Gideon's kingship-like life in the fact that he had 70 sons by many wives and a concubine who he had a son with. Which, by the way, he named Abimelech, which means my father is king. And so his son Abimelech, since he's the son of a concubine, that means from his birth he's an outsider in his own family. Meaning that unlike Gideon's other 70 sons, he was illegitimate. He didn't stand to inherit anything. And as the story unfolds in chapter number 9, we see a man in Abimelech who feels that whatever he wants to get out of life, he'll have to get it himself. And if you read chapter number nine, that's exactly what he does. He grasps the power for himself. And under his rule, Israel plums new depths. In other words, there's a lot of foolishness going on. A lot of foolishness. But God brings justice at the end of chapter number nine through Abimelech's death. And with that, we learn that while God may seem silent sometimes, he's not absent.
I love as chapter 10 begins. So the people have completely abandoned God. We see the grace of God towards the Israelites. First few verses of chapter number 10 in your Bible says that he sends Tola as the next person to rescue Israel. And he judged Israel for 23 years. And after him, Jair judged Israel for 22 years. But here's what's interesting. As I begin to close, here's what's interesting about all of this. When God sent Tola, Abimelech was already dead. So who did Tola rescue Israel from? In every other cycle we saw, there was somebody living that the rescuer was a part of making sure they died. But here, Abimelech is already dead. So who did Tola rescue Israel from? God used him to rescue Israel from themselves. From themselves. It's fascinating. God's people. Jesus is the one who rescues us from ourselves, right? From our from the failings and ambitions of our own hearts, and even from the divisions and strife among us. It's a good reminder to me that I'm my biggest problem. And if I'm my biggest problem, then you're your biggest problem. So when you look in the mirror every morning, you are staring face to face with the hindrance to God's plan. for us here in New City, Brooklyn is not just a night. 